welcome to the Making of an Exception podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, this podcast is for anyone who's looking to be inspired, to gain new perspective on life, or is aspiring to live out their faith in whatever field they find themselves in. Each week, we'll be interviewing influencers and creatives who are exceptions to the rule. The fact that they've gone through what they've gone through, walked through the challenges and pain that they have, and have been gifted the way they've been gifted is what makes them an exception. Our goal is that you'd hear this story today and you'd be inspired and challenged to be an exception in the making. This is Kirk Graham, and you're listening to the Making of an Exception podcast. And today we've got Spencer Hutton, uh, who is a husband, father, uh, golfer, really good golfer. And uh, you are the president of Commonwealth Real Estate Group. And uh, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Super for having me. Super stoked to be able to hear your story, share your story with uh, our audience. And uh, I'd love to hear, just jump in right away, uh, who you are, uh, the business that you started, kind of where you're at today, uh, even family stuff, if you want to share a little bit of that. Yeah. So yeah, husband first, yeah. Uh, father second. So my wife, Amber, uh, my kids, I've got a six-year-old daughter, Peyton. Yeah. And my, Peyton. Yep. And my awesome. three-year-old son, Elliot. Um, super involved in our church and our yeah friends and, um, do real estate as my vocation. Uh, but you know, really see that as just kind of the vehicle for getting out there and meeting people and making an impact. So that's awesome. How long have you been married? Uh, we have been married. We're coming up on nine years here, which is hard to believe. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's awesome. It goes by quick. It does. Uh, we're coming up on seven and, uh, it, it, I don't know how it goes so fast. It's yep. crazy. And every year goes faster. <laughs> yeah. How does life keep getting faster? I was telling somebody the other day, uh, when I was in like second grade, I would look at the clock and think, man, 2 p.m. is it's never going to get here. Like yep. it felt like forever. Yep. And now I've been married for almost seven years. Like yes. time just keeps getting faster yep. and faster. faster. In sixth grade, I was like, how do I have six more years of this? Yep. This is crazy. I, yeah. I also was chatting the other day with somebody and I remember saying, making the comment of like, I remember when I was 21 looking at somebody who was in their mid thirties and going like, man, they got it figured out and they're so far along, whatever. Now I'm in my mid thirties and I'm like, <laughs> I do not feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. It's like, oh, I was 21 yesterday. Um, Time, but, time's flying. So yep. you have two kids. Are you guys going to have more kids? You know, uh, to be determined, um, uh, open to more kids, love, love our children, love kids. I came from a a little bit bigger family. We had five children counting me in our family. Um, but our second son had some medical hardships when he was born. And so that's kind of, it's my wife's call. It's her body. It's her decision. It's, uh, you know, she's the one who's affected far more than I am through the child birthing process. So I've always said, you know, even before that, I always said it was her decision and, you know, we'd make it together, but ultimately she was kind of the trump card. And, um, you know, she, after, after, she, she was, there's, you know, there's those like women who are like being pregnant completes me. Um, yeah. that's not my wife. And, uh, so she was always hesitant about having more than two yeah. to begin with. Um, yeah. but then when my son had some of his 
issues. It was yeah. kind of like, yeah, maybe maybe we'll put things on pause here. Um, yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about that today yeah. and how how you've been able to lead your family through some of those challenges. Yeah. I I I think that's awesome because some some husbands can have a strong opinion about uh, their family, and I'm I'm saying the same thing. We just yep. had our second daughter days ago. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's, it, it is awesome, but we don't feel like the parents that are like, man, uh, having infants is like the joy of our life. (laughs) We love our kids for sure, but it's not like, this is the greatest. I mean, we're like, we're like, get us to two years old and, and if we, or get us to sleep it through the night and, yep. and, and, and then we're good. So absolutely. Uh, same thing is if my wife wants to do it again. Yep. Uh, great. Yep. If not, uh, we, we would like to adopt a, a girl from India. Uh, my older brother is adopted. And so we'll see if we go that yeah. route. But my, my older brother's adopted as well. Was um, he the first so. or, uh, like in line or? Well, and it's kind of a longer, but we, we never legally officially adopted him. My parents yeah, stole him. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> my, so, so this isn't public, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not recording. <laughs> yeah. uh, Just speak my, into that microphone. Yeah, yeah. My, my parents were, uh, before any of us were around, were medical missionaries in no Africa. Way. Um, and so my mom taught English there and my dad was a doctor and did some medical missions work in Africa and Liberia. And, so they just kind of met this family over yeah. there. And uh, when they came back to the States, that family reached out to him and just said, hey, can we send our son over to live with you? Um, it's weird because he doesn't know how old he is. They don't keep track of that out there. So no. best they can guess is that, you know, he was uh, like 14 plus or minus three years or whatever no um, when he came over and lived, started living with my parents. And, and that was like... Uh, might have been just before I was born or right as I was. So, like, I don't remember any of that, obviously. Yeah. Um, so he's 14-ish years older than you. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, he, yeah, he's actually, he's probably even more than that. Um, but, yeah, he's, like, in his 50, like, yeah. plus or minus five years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, wow. But, uh, but yeah, and I, and I just remember growing up thinking he was my brother until I was yeah. old enough to figure out, like, hey, how did that guy come from my parents? <laughs> like, totally. <laughs> Totally. Same thing. My brother's Guatemalan and I just, we just grew up buds, you know, like the old pictures. He's two years older. The pictures of when we were kids, it's just like, uh, little Guatemalan boy and little white Norwegian boy, but we're brothers. And so we've always been brothers. He married a Puerto Rican. So I think it's awesome that, uh, we're going to have, uh, white children that have first cousins of full Hispanic kids and their cousins, you know, it's like, my kids, my daughter's gonna be able to say like at school, like my, my cousins, they got my back and they're Hispanic, you know, like, I think that's awesome. So it's super cool. Yeah. Do you guys think like adoption might be in your future? I think it's possible. Definitely something we talk about and we're open to. And uh, many people, my sisters adopted two little girls. Um, my cousins, my, my cousin is adopted and they've adopted yeah. uh, some kids. And so it kind of adoption kind of runs in our family. And yeah. so it's definitely something it's super we're cool. open to, for uh, we'll, sure. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but part of your company and uh, the generosity of, of just who you are is to help uh, rescue children and help uh, yep. give them homes. As you're selling homes here in Minnesota uh, to help provide shelter in, in Nepal through venture. And so, again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yep. I, I love that that's your heart in uh, helping rescue kids, uh, yep. whether it's through adoption in your family uh, or 
across the planet, kids you'll never meet yep. on this side of eternity. I think that's amazing. Absolutely. So I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about Commonwealth Real Estate Group uh, and just what what that is here in, in Minnesota and kind of the business that you're building yeah. um, and kind of yeah where it got started. Yeah. So we, so I, I became a real estate agent in 2011, um, was working at, uh, North central university, downtown Minneapolis for several years prior to that. And, uh, found out that, uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child and loved working at North central, uh, worked in athletics there. Um, felt like I was making a huge impact and kind of living out some of my calling in life kind of really found my calling in life yeah. through that season. Uh, however, a nonprofit Christian university doesn't always buy a whole lot of diapers and formula and <laughs> things yeah. like that. So just uh, enough. Yeah, yeah, I was I was primary income earner and solo income earner, and so we kind of started talking like, well, this was a great season, but probably need to start looking for a different avenue um, yeah. as we prepare for a child. So. Um, Do you have family members that were in real estate? How did you no. choose that route? Nope. Nobody in my family was in real estate. Uh, nobody in my family had started their own business or anything like that. Mm. Um, my dad was actually uh, very hesitant about me. Sure. <laughs> Which in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, uh, expecting a child, thinking that I need to make more money to buy diapers and, my and formula yeah. and quitting my job and moving over to a business, olo, a business, business owner commission-based <laughs> career. Not the wisest move at the moment, but uh, it worked. Um, yeah, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so Praise God. always, always had an interest in real estate. Uh, yeah. Bought, bought a home in college because yep. it didn't make sense to me to pay rent in college. So yeah. bought a home in college, had, had my friends rent from me, yep. paid, paid for the mortgage that way. Genius. Um, I heard the term house hacking. Yeah. Shouldn't have worked. That was pre 2008. So shouldn't have been able to get a mortgage, uh, but literally walked into a bank, kind of pitched them my idea and they were like, like, yeah, sure. Here you go. Perfect candidate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Worked that time, but obviously didn't work several times for banks at that time. Yeah. Um, But that was kind of my first foray into it and bought a house right after college too, when I moved back to Minnesota. And so I just kind of always done it and would like, was the guy who'd like walk into an open house on a Saturday just to walk around or whatever. And so my wow. wife was actually the one who we actually met with a real estate agent to sell our house and uh, kind of take the funds from that and to buy us some time and whatnot. Yep. And as we were meeting with him, my wife started asking him a bunch of questions about yeah. what's it take to be and all that kind of stuff. And afterwards she was like, I think you should be a real estate agent. Uh, no way. And I was like, okay. She's like, well, you're doing it all the time anyways. You might as well get paid for it. Yeah, you're going to all <laughs> these open houses. Like <laughs> we never see you on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so looked into it and found out that it's relatively easy for better or worse to become a real estate agent. Yeah. So went down that path, um, jumped into it in 2011, uh, was solo for, yeah three years, uh, but became very, pretty successful pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and three years into it was just burning myself dry. Um, yeah. Like, so the, the average agent in the state of Minnesota does like six to eight deals a year and no way. And that year I did like 33 or something like that. Just on your own. Just on my own with no, no, no admin, no assistant, no anything, just me doing everything. Uh, 
And I got to the end of, that would have been 2014, I believe, got to the end of 2014. Um, and for like a month, I'd been, had this kind of cough that showed up and mm. um, couldn't kick it, just thought it was a bad cold, but it just kind of kept getting progressively worse. And then one night in December, uh, I moved out of the bedroom because I was just keeping my wife awake at night because I was just like constantly Hacking. coughing yeah. and and was struggling to breathe and um about, you know, probably like one in the morning, I was sitting there just really like, literally the like, <laughs> like, no just way. like could not breathe. Uh, so, and we had a kid at the time. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to let my wife sleep and I'm just going to drive into the hospital. Um, because no. so, I was like, oh, we're not waking our sleeping baby. Yes. Um, so, uh, ended up in the hospital for several days. Um, that was right around the time that Ebola was a big thing. Yeah. And so I came in and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I was this healthy, you know, relatively healthy. Yeah. 30 year old, uh, but like was having all these issues and they quarantined me for 24 hours cause they couldn't figure out. And this was when Ebola was happening and all this. So they were like, just in case it was Ebola. just in case it was something. Um, and they brought in an infectious disease specialist and all this stuff. What's, what's quarantine like? They like you're in a room by yourself yep. or like yep. you're so in nobody, like nobody can come you know, like my wife couldn't come see me. Um, you know, anybody who came into the room was like, in a Hazmat suit, no uh, you know, kind of not not that drastic, but you know that yeah, type you, of thing. You really feel like everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, the first room they put me in was like in the back of the hospital with like no windows, no nothing. Like, yeah. not like it was just like a six by eight concrete, you know, cell uh, wow. with just a clock on the wall, and I was there for like four hours by myself. You and in I'm prison. Like, yeah, pretty. And I'm there like by myself. And at one point I hit my, my phone didn't work cause I was just in this room and like, and I hit this like, what if the world ended? And I like, I didn't know. Like, That's so funny. Like, I'm just, it's been uh, like, uh, where does yeah, anybody know that, I'm back here? On shows, like somehow there's a zombie apocalypse <laughs> and you've been stuck in this room for weeks. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, what was it? Like, well, so they, they never figured out what really was wrong. Um, other than, you know, I just essentially, I mean, the doctor the panic told, attack. Yeah. Or, well, the doctor just told me like, he was like, I think you just need to go sleep. <laughs> um, no way. So I, I actually went down to Northfield, Minnesota, which is one of my favorite places in the entire state. I hadn't really, I just started driving and f stumbled across Northfield, which I know it's not a like unknown place, but I just had never been there or anything and grabbed a room at a, the, the historic hotel down there and I literally slept for like almost three days. Um, no way. And, you know, I think it was just one of those things where you, you know, you have buckets in your life. You have your family bucket, your faith bucket and your finance bucket and your health bucket. And yeah. you'll, you only have capacity for so much and yep. you can, you can lift one up above the others, but you're going to be stealing from something. And yeah. for me, I'd made a commitment in my life that I wasn't going to steal from my family. Yep. I wasn't going to steal from my friends or my kids. Um, I wasn't going to steal from my finances. Uh, so I chose to steal from my health, yeah. um, you know, not consciously, but subconsciously and, yeah. you know, paid the piper. <laughs> yeah. So it was through that, that I realized like I need to do something different. This isn't worth, and it was through this heart of helping people that yeah. was why I helped 30 yeah. some people. Um, but I was like, I gotta, I gotta bring a team of people around me that have the same heart, the same drive, 
Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It wasn't just about the money. No. It was about the purpose of trying to help people find homes. Yep. Uh, and and make a difference across the world through generosity, all that. But, yep. Um, so then you added a team of people? Yeah. So in 2015, that's when I kind of officially launched Commonwealth as a group. Got it. Uh, and hired an admin and an agent. And then now we've grown to, we presently have four agents and two staff. Um, and, and we've had a couple agents come and go in that time too. Um, and how many, how many deals a year are you guys doing as a group? Yeah, we, we hover right around 75 plus or minus. Um, we're on, on pace for somewhere between 75 to a hundred this year. Um, so, and, and our volume has kind of risen. We, you know, I was, I was doing like 10 to 12 on my own, 10 to 12 million on my own and, uh, in sales volume. Yep. <laughs> um, and you know, we're, we should be right around that 20, 20 to 25 mark here wow. this year. Um, but what's, I don't, I've always said that success like that or talking about numbers like that, or that's just a byproduct of the philosophy we have. Yeah. Uh, we, we actually don't really set goals. And that's actually one of the things I love about when we'll probably get more into this later, but um, through our giving initiatives, we've kind of reframed and flipped upside down how we set goals instead of it being, you know, Hey, we want to do 25 million this year and 125 deals. Well, why? Uh, Because it's more than we did last year. (laughs) Because it's a number that we haven't done yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That just felt very empty. Um, So in through our giving efforts and through our whatever, we all of a sudden flipped like, well, how, how could we end up setting our goals differently through that lens? Yeah. And so now it's like, we have a goal of reaching this many children. Yeah. In order to do that, yeah. we need to do this. And in order to do that, we need to do, you know, and all of a sudden you, yeah. you work your, you work your, your production goals backwards off wow. of what matters. So, yeah. Something of substance, uh, mm-hmm. something eternal. Even. Yes. Uh, rather than just a, a dollar number. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd love for you to share the the generosity side of your business because there's a lot of business owners that personally they're gen- generous, but they don't build it into uh, the business because they're saying it's conflict of interest. It's not, you know, we, we can choose to live as the owner of the company or like personally you could live a certain way, mm-hmm. but you've built it into the culture of your business. Yeah. Um, but I'd love for you to explain, yeah, kind of what you guys are doing, Commonwealth Group. Yeah. So in 20, so one of our core values when we started, we have seven core values, but one of our core values when we start, when, our, when I started this thing was impact yep. and kind of our sub definition of that is that we believe that pl- the people and places we interact with will be better because we exist. Yeah. So that's always been a tenant of ours. And in 2016, I'm, I'm, I tend to be somebody who's kind of constantly for better or worse, constantly going, okay, this is good. Yep. How can it be better? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so in 2016 we were knocking it out of the park and impacting all these people's stories and having a huge year, but I just kind of got to the end of the year and was like, okay, this is great. Um, if I'm 60 years old, sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair, I'm going to have some really good stories to tell and yep. a legacy of ripple effects. And those are all good things. Yeah. Um, but I just felt this burning desire that there was more. And so yep. in 2017, I really spent asking the question of like, okay, so I know the, the, the main question that bubbled to the surface was, I know the people and places we interact with are living a better story because we exist. Yeah. But what about people and places we never interact with? Mm-hmm. Could their lives actually be better because we exist? 
so I started meeting with just a bunch of people um, asking that question and like, how, how, how could this happen? How could that play out? Yeah. And ended up through, through mutual kind of Paul Herkman and venture, um, yeah. which is a nonprofit in the Metro here. Um, that just does incredible things uh, around many areas, um, human yep. trafficking being one. Uh, but, you know, just they've got four or five major, major, you know, slavery or clean water wells or, you know, um, refugee help. Um, yep. So they're just I can't say enough good things about their organization. But I met with Paul and our paths had crossed several times randomly throughout the years. But we had and we, several times we had remarked. Uh, I remember two times distinctly over like a seven year stretch where we we met once and then like didn't see each other for three years and then yeah. randomly connected again. And we were like, I feel like we keep connecting for some reason, but I don't know why. Like, yeah. let's just keep that door open. Uh, then in 2017, circled back. That was probably in like 2012 or something like that. So 2017, yeah. we sit down for coffee and I'm asking this question and he starts sharing about some of their uh, human trafficking eff- efforts in Nepal. And the homes they're building for these children, these, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds that are being rescued out of human trafficking, Hmm. that are being born into a caste system that believes that that's why they exist. Um, And it's just like human trafficking has been a buzzword for a while. And you know, I knew, I knew, you know, it happens, you know, it happens and you know, and you know, it's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But when you actually get some of the like firsthand story and I have a six-year-old daughter. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's talking and I'm thinking about my six-year-old daughter. Yeah. And just getting wrecked yeah. in the middle of this coffee shop in South Minneapolis, like apologizing to somebody for my heave sobbing in the, the booth here or oh, whatever. Um, I feel like that's Paul Herkman's life. It's <laughs> yes. like every conversation he has, like the person on the other end is getting wrecked yes. in a good way. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it was in that, that this kind of give home philosophy yep. got birthed. And, and so it's this find home, give home initiative is what we call yep. it. And, and we found out that the resounding answer to that question of could people in places we never interact with be better? It, you know, the resounding answer to that is yes. Yeah. So we committed to taking 5% of our gross revenue. So not, you know, some, some people will do their profit at the yep. end of the year. You know, it's like, well, after we pay the bills and after we take it, you know, whatever's yep. left over, we'll give. But we just said, we're going to just take 5% straight off the top before yep. bills, before anything. Uh, and whenever anybody buys or sells a home with us and they've found home, uh, we're going to take that and send it to Nepal uh, to give home to a child. And, you know, we, we define finding home as a place that uh, evokes joy and yep. welcomes belonging and yep. provides security. Yeah. And we want to give a home, a place, you're able to do. a place that evokes joy yep. and welcomes belonging and provide security to a child yeah. who desperately needs that in yeah. their life. They've never experienced that in their whole life. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we're, we've been able to do that. And our, our goal, um, we had a huge goal of 50 children this year is, yep. is we wanted to provide shelter to 50 children. Um, and, you know, we're hoping that every year that number can grow. Uh, yeah. cause we just, we want to, we want to make an impact on those children's lives. Yeah. Uh, because they nobody deserves it more than them. Yeah, that's a that's amazing, and I I love yeah the heart of generosity and what you're doing, and it's a perfect tie in to what you're doing here, providing home for people here and and across the world. I love the definition of home. Uh, it's yeah, and just the fact that you've built this into your business, 
Uh, and it's not just how you and your wife chosen to live, but it's built into your business. Your employees are in on this. Mm-hmm. These are the goals you're setting. It's, a, it's about these children, yep. not just a dollar number. Correct. Um, and how did, how did you become this way? And that's, that's why it's called the making of an exception. Yeah. You are, I believe you are an exception to the rule. Not everybody is living the way that you are. Not every real estate agent or president of their group, uh, of what they're trying to build is doing business the way that you are. Um, how did you become this way? Uh, another way to phrase it in your words would be what was, what, what's, what has been the setting of -hmm. your life growing up? Uh, your family, is it, you, we raised this way, uh, as things happen along, I'm sure it's both, but, yep. um, to become the way that you are building business the way that you are to, to be a part of something or to create something that's just bigger than just yourself. Yeah. Uh, great question. <laughs> um, so growing up, uh, for sure the seeds of it were planted within my family. And I know yeah. like my, my dad specifically, would always hammer into us that like, it's not about, you know, and I think a lot of it was parenting technique yeah, of like, yeah. stop fighting. It's not about you. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, but, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whether his intention was this or not, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it was a, a common phrase was just like, it's not about you. Like be, yeah. be it. And, and growing up with, you know, five or four siblings, five yep. kids total, uh, you know, and I mean, there's other families that have more children and things like that, but you, you kind of have to implement like, Hey, sometimes your brother's going to get to do something you don't get to do, yeah. um, but be happy for them and be excited for them and yeah. celebrate their wins, celebrate their wins and, and, and look for ways to make your siblings happy and they'll look for ways to make you happy and, yeah. and then we'll all be more happy. Yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of a tenant of, of growing up and, um, uh, but I, you know, I can really, when I think about my life, uh, the, some of the major moments that impacted me and, and. I believe shaped this. It, it were actually the the lowest ends of my life. Mm. Um, death was actually something that I was introduced to pretty young. Mm. Um, one of my friend's sister passed away in a car accident. I remember, um, like she was my friend's little sister, so she was probably yeah. only five or six years old when she wow. passed away, and we were in like fourth grade or something like that. And um, so I just I remember being over at their house and playing with her one day, and then. Uh, you know, the next day she was gone. And so that, that was like the first moment where I remember Mm. thinking like, Whoa, this life like, isn't all just fun and games anymore. Um, and then through junior high and even high school, I mean, there was just, there was a lot of death in my world. Um, a lot of parents in our friend group that passed away. We had over a dozen parents in our friend group that passed away throughout our high school years. Um, you know, car accidents or cancer or on the job accidents or just, you know, freak things. Um, so for a while that threw me kind of down. Cause at this time in, in junior high and high school, I didn't, I didn't have much of a faith background. I didn't yeah. have, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I, I had that, I always say tragedy tends to either bring you closer to God or drive you further away. Yeah. And, and I, I, I was a little bitter with God, mm-hmm. you know, those questions of like, well, why would a good God allow that to happen? Yep. Um, you know, why would, or why would he orchestrate that to happen? I think sometimes right. <laughs> this is a red button topic and could be a whole nother podcast in and of itself. But, you know, sometimes in our efforts 
to comfort of, well, you know, there was a reason for this God, yeah. God has a reason for this. Yeah. Um, you know, that can also sometimes be damaging of yeah. why, why, you know, God, the, the enemy is the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Yeah. Um, or like, or saying he, he's working this out for good. Yes. It's like, yeah, he's working out the death of my parent for good. Like, right. Like, and even if that's true, good can come good from can tragedy. Come from tragedy. But he didn't do this so that good, like this is not good. Right. Yes. And this is not him. And this, and this was not his design. This was yeah. not his desire. This was not, you know, I I've come a long way and we'll journeyed through a lot to get to that place. And yeah. um, but at the time those were some things that I'd heard. And then it was like, well, then if that's if that's God, then I don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. Um so what it did do was open my eyes to the fact that we don't know how long our story is. Yeah. Um, we don't know when our chapters are ending. Yeah. Uh, and let's, let's make the most of our time here for, for several years in high school. Um, I was that, that kid who everybody thought had it all together. Um, mm. cause I was successful and yeah, relatively popular. Uh, lucked into that one. Um, you're you know, a golfer. Yes. That, like, yep. So successful in athletics or multiple areas too? Yeah. Mul- multiple, but athletics mostly. Yeah. Um, I'd kind of always been an athlete growing up and always excelled. Like I was always from the time I was, I remember I was like eight years old playing in a tennis tournament against like 14 year olds and winning or whatever. Crazy. Um, so just ath- athletics had always been something that came naturally to me. Unfortunately, I was stuck in a five, seven Scandinavian body. Um, but, like, but, why can't I be six, seven? Yeah. <laughs> but the, the hand eye coordination and things were there to allow me to excel, uh, wow. at least to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then golf was kind of the thing that floated to the top. I had some injuries in junior high that, uh, made non-contact sports not viable anymore or yeah. contact sports not viable anymore. Yeah. So switched over to golf um, and had always had a passion about golf, just always loved it. You grew um, up, yeah, grew up golfing. Grew up golfing from the time I could remember. I mean, yeah. pictures of me one and a half years old carrying swinging. a club and swinging and, you know, barely walking and picking up a club. And um, so uh, for a while, I, my identity was wrapped up in my success mm. and you know, on the, on the surface to most people who knew me, um, I I had it all together, but when I'd go home, it was a wreck and depression. And uh, why did all, you know, asking all those questions, why all these things happen? And you, you were a wreck. Your, the fa- the, your family wasn't a wreck, correct. but you felt that way. Correct. Right? Yes. I felt that way. Um, and I had, you know, and I had this, and, and I know now, you know, I had this huge hole in my heart, mm-hmm. um, because I had turned my back on my father, my, my heavenly father, uh, you know, I had this hole that, uh, this gaping hole of love that needed to be filled. And yep. so the way to fill that was winning tournaments and being funny and, yep. you know, uh, and then my senior year, um, I'd, I'd signed to, I'd signed a letter of intent to play golf for the university of Minnesota, which, mm. uh, was the top program in the country at that time they they won the national championship in 2002 and that's when I signed my letter of intent wow. with them and um so that seemed to be good and but in April of 2002 called up one of my buddies and uh, he picked up the phone and he was crying and un- unbeknownst I mean he was my best friend in high school um and he was the kid that I would spend every day with and at their house all the time and unbeknownst to me he had just found his mom uh dead that day. Hmm. 
and she was she was like my mom she was you know she was she was the one I spent a ton of time with uh, being at his house and uh, so again it was this you know this the death came knocking at the door and um, walking through that journey with him and our friend group and that that was the one that sent me on a different trajectory that's where my questions changed sure um, I, I don't know why but for whatever reason that one sent me the question started becoming okay this is reality. This, this happens. This is, this is our life. This is our broken world we live in. Why am I here? Yeah. Why are we all here? Yeah. What purpose does this serve? It's gotta be, you know, for me, the question was, or the, the, you know, the, the, it's gotta be more than about hitting a little white ball into a hole. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. It's fine. It's good. There's nothing wrong yeah. with it, but that is not the end all be all. That's not going to fill this hole in my heart right. and this pain and this. Um, so my freshman year of college, um, you know, going out on your own, wrestling with these questions, battling some depression. Um, I, I don't think like, cl like uh, clinical depression and like something I was born with, but just, you know, circumstantial yeah. depression. Um, and, and, you know, and because I'd thrown off my identity and I'd wrap my identity into my identity was wrapped up in my circumstances. So mm -hmm. if my circumstances were going great, I was doing great. If my yeah. circumstances were going bad, I was doing bad. Um, and not having an anchor to tie my identity to. It's so interesting. Even just on that point, that's how most people live their yes. lives. Yep. And it's not a knock on most people. No. Uh, and I find myself there uh, from time to time when the circumstance is not great. Is there a way to still be good mm -hmm. and to still have joy or to still have peace, to still believe that everything's going to be okay? And I think that there, there's a challenge there, but the answer is yes, there is another way. Yes. Um, and at what point, sorry, I kind of derailed your story. No, you're uh, good. At what point was, did it become, man, how I was raised, raised in the church and this guy, Jesus and and all these stories of, you know, he can work our pain for good. We're, we're here for more than this. Like at what point was it real for you? Like this, this is real. There is more to just living, uh, filling the, the gap in our hearts with just material, yep. you know, whether it's perception of people, success, uh, you know, winning tournaments, yep. you know, to your point. Yeah. So I had a, I had a pretty much a disaster freshman year of college because I was just mentally derailed. Did you, did you go to University I did. of Minnesota? I, I, yep. Played I was golf. at the University of Minnesota yeah. and played golf there uh, my freshman year. Uh, and then that summer in between my freshman and sophomore year, um, I would play in these, uh, these golf tours. Um, yeah. So they were what you would do in the summer to get better and refine your game and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I, lit, I would literally travel. I'd put like 30,000 miles on my car in a summer no and travel because, because all of them are South and yeah. being in Minnesota. So you got to yeah. drive down to, and it, you know, I'd start in Oklahoma and then go to Texas and then go to New Mexico and then every Arizona. And then, yep. Yeah. It, it just every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday would be a tournament. I'd travel. My, it yeah. was, it was like being on a professional tour, except yeah. it was, I was paying to be there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but, uh, and at the time in two, in 2003, 2002, 2003, you know, didn't have smartphone, uh, didn't, didn't have a laptop, uh, yeah. just different world, even though it doesn't seem like that long ago. Um, 
So I would be in hotels and like get t- bored of hotel TV. And yeah. I would actually go to the Barnes and Noble down the road. I'd find the Barnes and Noble in town yeah. and I'd go to the Barnes and Noble and I'd just pick up books and start reading. And I treated a Barnes and Noble like my, like a library. Wow. So I'd, I'd read yeah, there yeah, yeah. I'd totally. read there, and yep. I'd remember what book and what page I was on. And then the next city I ended up yes. in, I'd go and pick you're up like, the book. <laughs> you're like highlighting <laughs> and then you put it back on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Learning uh, so much. Yeah. <laughs> Dog tagging you. Know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, so I would do that and I, I stumbled across this book called Through Pain of Deserts by Donald Miller. Um, yep. And it, it wasn't in the self-help section. It wasn't in a, a Christian section or a religious section. It was just kind of on a standout. And I started reading it. It was just this beautiful book. Uh, and it's funny, I've, I've, I've read all of Donald Miller's books and I'm a huge fan. And he's, he's had a huge impact on my life. Uh, but sometimes I've heard him refer to it as like, yeah, that, that book was awesome. like, I look back now and that book, but it, it was a beautiful book. And it was basically just kind of his journey. It was almost like a, just a published journal of his mm. journey on a road trip through life wow. um, and f- wrestling through questions and things. Like, and there wow. were a lot of questions I was wrestling through. And um, you were doing, you were reading that book, but also kind of on the same yeah. journey. Yeah. Even you're on a road trip. Yeah. And even in the same like part of the country and just, wow. it just kind of lined up. And wow. so those were like the seeds of faith and, and identity had been mm-hmm. planted in me through my family. But I think f- f- whether it was intentional or not, um, I'm wired in a way where uh, I'm, I'm kind of weirdly wired where uh, I, I tend to react opposite to what, for better or worse to what people tell me. So yeah. for example, like I, I'm not rebellious in the nature that I do bad things. Yep. I'm rebellious. And if you tell me what to do, I'm going to say, why should I do that? Yep. <laughs> uh, so for better yep. or worse, my parents kind of let me be very independent in high wow. school. Yep. Um, and you know, if they would have been forcing mm-hmm. religion down my throat, I probably would have never turned yeah. that direction, but they, they didn't. Um, the seeds were planted. Yep. but they didn't. Um, same with like drinking, like yeah. they never told me not to drink. And if yeah. they had, I probably would have gone and drank. Yeah. But through high school, all my friends were telling me, Hey, you should drink. And I was yeah. like, yeah, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So peer pressure had like the opposite effect on me, but yeah. you know, it was that, you know, they'd planted the seeds in me as a, as a young, young kid yeah. and then kind of let me go. Wow. And those seeds began to be watered through yeah. that book. And, yeah. and then, um, when I came back, I was, I was planning to be at the U my, my sophomore year, but there was a coaching shift and mm. that coach decided to bring in new players. And so I, I showed up two weeks before school started and he was like, yeah, we're, we don't have a spot for you. Um, so all of a sudden two weeks before school starts, I'm no, no longer on the team. Uh, you know, and that was my whole life goal. I had spent 16 years of my 19 year life trying to get there. Um, that's how, that's how it works. It's, it's just a coach shows up and can say, yep, you're, you're great, but yep. you're not on, yep. on the team. Yep. Um, so, uh, ended up having no idea where I was going to go, what I was going to do. I still wanted to play golf. I still, but yep. you know, and it's like second week of August and school starts in two weeks and yep. most places are full and they've yep. already got found their team. And, um, but I happened to land, at a, a division one university down in Texas called Stephen F. Austin state. Mm. They were one of three places in the country that had a spot. Um, so I landed down there, drove down and again, this was pre smartphone and GPS. Yep. So I hear Stephen F. Austin state 
And I'm thinking, oh, it's in Austin, Texas. So no. I pull out my my Atlas that I had in my car no. and start driving Drive to, Austin. to Austin, Texas. And like literally that's how little little I knew about the school. Like I wow. didn't even know. I knew it was in Texas. And I knew it was called Stephen F. Austin. Um, and I get outside of Austin and I like pull over to <laughs> and like call uh, like, hey, the coach. Close. And yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm just outside Austin. Where do I go? And he's like, oh, you're like four hours away. And I was like, what? What do you mean I'm four hours away? And he's like, oh, yeah, we're in Nacogdoches, uh, no. which is four hours away from Austin, two hours north of Houston, in the middle of nowhere, town of about 14,000 people. Um, no. S- school of about 14,000 people. So one of those. There's no golf courses. <laughs> <We're> just, <laughs> yeah, our golf course a golf was a half day. hour away, um, no way. From, from the college. Uh, and but so so landed there and my roommate, first day I meet him. Mm hmm. He's like, hey, I got invited to this thing. He's on the golf team also. Yep. He's like, hey, I got invited to this thing. My neighbor back home uh, works for this organization, and they host these retreats at this pro golfer's house. You want to go? I, I don't really. He goes, just just fair warning. It's the, They're Christian retreats, but I just want to go meet this professional golfer. Do you want to yeah. come with me, and then we can hang out while we're there and whatever? And I was yeah. like, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, so we went to one of those, and God just met me there. Um, it was actually out in California. It was a whitewater rafting retreat. And, you know, you're out in the middle of, it is actually the official home of Sasquatch. Um, again, another podcast, another, (laughs) another day, but I, uh, I have some stories that I believe you've seen seen Bigfoot. (laughs) This is really opening up the, uh, the inside of me. I'm glad we've gotten (laughs) to this point. This is why you're here. We're going to talk about Bigfoot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do Bigfoot calls for the next 10 minutes. But uh, you've got a call. You got a Bigfoot call. Let no. me just pull it out of my pocket. And, uh, uh, but, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere and yeah. and you are going like, oh, yeah, something could hide out here if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and when you're like hit in the face with creation that way mm. and you realize how small you are and how tiny you are and how big this is. Um uh, that that's just that's where God met me, and wow. uh, I remember hearing, you know, not audibly or anything like that, but just kind of hearing this phrase of like, "I, I did all this for you, uh, yep. you know, I did all this to dazzle you." Um, mm. I'm a I'm a good God. Uh, yeah. I didn't do the things that people have attached to me. This is what I did: the yeah. beautiful things in life, the good things in life, mm. the amazing things in life. This is what I did, wow. uh, and I brought you here to show you this. Um, and, and so that's where now, you know, it took a while for that to actually stick. Um, but so for the next two years, I was like, okay, that, this is it. This, Mm. this is, and so for the next two years was kind of this up and down journey of figuring that out. Um, uh, and, and learning more about that. And, but I got to the place where I ended up just giving up golf altogether. Um, my scene, my going into my senior year, I was just like, I have got to put my identity is so wrapped up in my golf game and that it's such a like neuro pathway in my mm. brain that I have to just give this up completely so I can rewire this wow. neuro pathway in my brain uh, because I would wrestle between this identity that I'd found and what my brain was telling me I was wow. based on what I did. Yeah. Uh, so I gave that up for three years. I didn't, didn't touch a club, didn't, you know, and I was, I mean, I'd spent, 20 years of my 23 year life dedicated to golf golf and you know i wanted to be a professional golfer and i thought that was the track that i was on and um so that was really difficult thing to wrestle through and to feel like 
this is who I am and I'm just going to give it up and to feel like a failure and to have wow. those lies yep. being spoken in the back of your mind of, well, what, what made you worthy? You just gave up on, you quit, mm. you're a failure, you're whatever. Yeah. And being able to have the, you know, for people who are having those questions, you know, being able to have the courage to say, no, that's, that's not who I am. Yes. That's not, that's, that's a part of who I was, but that's not who I am. Yes. Um, but I just, I just felt I needed to walk away and, and I, and find, find my identity outside of circumstances, um, and then be able to bring circumstances back into my life. Yeah. Um, so that's, I, s I spent three years. I mean, I literally put my golf clubs in a closet and I never looked at them again for three years. I never watched golf on TV, you know, I'd go out on a date and somebody be like, Hey, let's go mini golfing. And I'd be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> um, yeah, like I didn't, nothing. I didn't want anything to do with golf. Um, really? And kind of thought I'd be done forever. Uh, but then my wife or my now wife came into the picture at this time Yeah, and we started dating and she, uh, she had a job at a golf course yeah. being the cart girl. No way. And she didn't know, she met me after this season of my life. So she had no she didn't I, know you were a golfer. She yeah. had no idea I was a golfer. Uh, and she, she approaches me one day and she's like, Hey, I get free golf at this place. Cause I'm a cart girl. We should go try golf together. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go learn it together. <laughs> it's like the worst. <laughs> okay. Quick story. My wife, she, uh, when we were dating, uh, one of the, the first, my birthday, the first, cause I grew up playing golf, played in high school. My, uh, my wife was like, Hey, hey you love golf. Let's go, let's go golfing on the, it was my first birthday while we were dating. And, and I was like, okay, I was raised like golf etiquette. Like you don't run on the course. You don't yell on the course. You for sure don't lay down on the green and use your putter like a pool stick. Like, <laughs> but my wife did all of that. <laughs> and it was one of the most challenging days of our relationship. <laughs> I was like, I like, I just for sure need to relax. But, uh, and it was like a par three course. It wasn't yep. even like legit, but. It was, I was like stressed because of how, how I was raised, like what you do and don't do on a golf course. Yep. Uh, she broke all the rules and yep. we haven't golfed since. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but That's we've been married funny. almost seven years and life's Perfect. good. So it's all good. Perfect. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so, so I'm like, sure, we can, we can go play. <laughs> um, this is the first time you picked up. This is the first time I've picked up a club, a club in, in three years. over three years. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, and when I stopped, like I had derailed, yeah. um, cause golf is such a mental game. Yep. Uh, and I was so, I was mentally wrestling through and even on the yep. golf course, I was mental, I was wrestling through these, like, I don't, I'm not comfortable on my, who in my head and like all yeah. that. Kind of, and so like, I was literally, I was a scholarship division one golfer yep. who could like barely break 90 all of a sudden, like wow. went from, you know, scratch golfer to like upper eighties to low nineties wow. and like, but just cause it was all between my ears. Wow. So I'm like, good. She, she'll think I just started playing yeah. <laughs> cause I'm expecting my last time I played, I shot like 88. So yep. she'll think I just started playing and I'm halfway decent. Um, so, so we go out and play and I, I shot five under par. I shot a 67. No. Um, and I was like, huh, 
that's interesting. <laughs> um, and played. What a great day to uh, <laughs> shoot 500 par. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, is that good? Yeah. So um, it's my first day golfing. Yeah. Thanks for taking me. So then I was like, okay, yeah. So growing up, I played a lot of golf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you like had to open up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also, the, the negative was I set the bar very high. So, yeah. so like I remember a month or two later we're playing and I shot like a 74 and she was like, what happened? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, that's still pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's not bad. Jeez. Um, like people are dreaming of the day they can shoot 74. <laughs> but yeah, I played like five days in a row and I like the worst round I shot was like three or four under. Um, no way. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, what do I do with that? Uh, yeah. And at this point I was fresh out of college and didn't know what I was going to do with life. And yep. so I was like, well, maybe, maybe golf is coming back and mm-hmm. maybe playing professionally is still an option or whatever. And, but as I started to go down that path, I just realized that was not the path for mm. me. I, you know, I think it's possible that I could have done something with it, but, um, I just, I knew something in my gut was telling me that was not. Plus I, yeah. I wanted a family and I wanted, yeah. I wanted a wife and I wanted kids and, playing professional golf is not a good way to do that. Um, especially at the beginning. So, uh, and I was still, still growing in my faith and, um, actually, uh, did a semester at seminary because I was a new Christian and I thought seminary is where you go to become a better Christian. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was like going to church every day. Um, found out that was massively different. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's it's overachieving. Uh, but, uh, I met a guy there and he was like, you, what you really should do is you should go to North central mm. and just audit some Bible classes. Like yeah. if you just want to hear some stuff about the Bible, just pay a, like 200 bucks yeah, and audit a class, class and just go yeah. sit in the class and you know, you'll save a ton of money. And that's really, you're not doing this for like a vocation or anything. No, so just doing it for the education. Yeah. yeah. So I started doing that and, uh, this was all at kind of all happening at the same time. Wow. And I heard somebody say like, oh yeah, North Central's kind of starting a golf team. Uh, it used to be like a club team and uh, they just got they just got their NCAA Division Three status mm-hmm. and so they're starting a golf team. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, so I was like, who's coaching it? And they were like, oh, this guy up on the second floor. So I go up there and I knock on his door and I walk in and I'm like, hey, are you starting the golf team? And he's like, yeah. It's like, you play? I was like, yeah, but I don't have any eligibility left. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is my story. Can I help you? Um, yeah. and he was like, yes. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I, he's like, to be honest, I've never golfed. He, yeah. he hadn't, he had, no. ne- yeah, he had never, well, he'd golfed, but like he had no golf background, golfer, but he yeah. was, he was a psychologist and he had these amazing sports psychology techniques, wow. but he had no golf technique. Wow. And here I come walking in and I've got all these golf techniques. Wow. Um, so it was like this perfect marriage. Um, and so we went from, but, uh, just to step back. When, when we did that, I sat down with him. I said, okay, but here's the deal. I want to create a golf team that's different than the way anybody does traditional golf teams. Yeah. So the traditional way of building a golf team is uh, the philosophy is it's, it's an individual sport that happens to be played as a team. Yeah. Um, it's just a bunch of individuals that we happen to count a team score at, at the end and yep. there, there happens to be a team competition, but the way to make a good team is to get the individuals within the team competing against each other. Mm. And the philosophy being, if I'm trying to beat you and you're trying to beat me, we're getting better. And yeah. then as a byproduct, the team score gets better. Yeah. The problem with that was in the, what I witnessed that play is freshmen and sophomores are your best golfers. And yep. by the time they're juniors or seniors, they're burnt out and annoyed 
and wow. frustrated because what actually happens is I'm trying to beat you and you're trying to beat me. But what I'm really doing is just hoping you screw up Yeah. instead of going, boy, I, I hope I do my best. Well, or maybe I hope I do my best and I hope he screws up yeah. uh, because I just, I, I'm, I want to beat him. Yeah. Uh, and like you might learn something that could help me, mm. but you're not going to share it with me because you're totally. supposed to beat me against. You. Um, yeah. so most college golfers stagnate or sometimes even get worse as they go through their career. Mm. Uh, so you just see coaches turning over freshmen and sophomores constantly. Wow. Um, and my philosophy was, and it was kind of twofold. Number one, it was because I was exploring this faith thing and yep. how can I do an everyday thing and impact other people with it? Yeah. And then number two, I want to create a really competitive golf team. Hmm. Um, and, th- and that's another one of my like tenants. I've always said I want to be an and person. Yeah. Way too many people say you need, you're, you're an either person. You can like for my business, you can either yep. run a socially minded business. Yeah but provide you won't be profitable lower quality service or you won't be profitable or whatever, you know, or you can be highly driven, be really good, make a ton of money, make a ton of money, but just forget about being a good person. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 I want to be both. I want to be and, um, and that, that kind of was birthed out of this golf season of my life. Cause I was out of this Christian school in Minnesota, (laughs) in downtown Minnesota with mostly, uh, lower income because it's a, yep. it's a more affordable Christian school. Yep. Um, so, so mostly students who aren't wired to be the golfers. Um, yep. and I was like, no, I think we can, I think we can make a, a nationally competitive golf team here, but this is how I want to do it. Wow. I, I want to be, and I want to be, uh, a Christian team that's pouring into each other's lives, creating this brotherhood, creating deep friendships and relationships that will carry them through the rest of their lives. Uh, and the, the old philosophy was either you could be that, yeah, but you'll be a terrible, you'll golf be a team. terrible team, yeah. uh, or you can forget about all that stuff and try to be competitive. And I was like, I want to do all those things and create this brotherhood where they're encouraging each other to be the best men they could possibly be and, the, and to prepare mm. themselves to be the best husbands they could be, to prepare themselves to be the best fathers they could be and create lifelong relationships so that as they go through life and the, the storms of life hit, yep. they've got men that they can call on to gather yep. around them. We want to do that, and we want to go and beat everybody we play. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We want to win the sportsmanship award and the conference championship. Yes. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be either or. Uh, and it and it and then my my bigger life belief in that is that it's it's in that moment of and where people will start asking the questions of like, wait, I didn't think you. What's different about There's something you? different? Yeah. Why why are you that way? How is it? What, where does that come from? And then that's where it opens the door for the conversation of the bigger picture. And, and that's your leadership philosophy that has translated into your marriage, parenthood, my, yep. business, yep, everything, everything. It's it's and, and and it's working and it's working. Um, wow. So that that first year starting the team, we had one kid on the team who'd played golf, and pretty much the rest of them hadn't, and we were terrible, but unbelievable group of guys. Um, we finished last in every single tournament we played in. And then the conference championship, we finished second to last and it was like, okay, we're onto something. We're onto something. (laughs) I I told you it's going to work. (laughs) And, uh, brought in some more recruits and things like that. The next year we won the conference championship and we, we won four years in a row. We were the first, we were the first division three conference champion at North central. 
Uh, because we won our championship, we ended up going to the national championship. Mm. So we were the first national champion representative out of the conference to go to nationals and the first um, team at North Central to go to an NCAA national championship. Yeah. And we did that three years in a row. Um, wow. And by the time, so then I took over the team the second year. Uh, and our so our third year in, or fourth year in, third year as champions we won by like 48 shots or something which no in, which in golf is like unheard of you know like in football it'd be like 80 to nothing or something like yeah, that yeah. you know which has um, happened <laughs> uh but so it was just but again like that was just yeah. a byproduct my belief was if if we were off the field encouraging each other to be the mm -hmm. best people we could be when we got to the golf course we would encourage each other to be the mm. best golfers we could be. And all of a sudden it becomes, oh, hey, I learned this. You should try doing this. Like, let's yeah. make each other better. And then by being that, we'll be a team that overachieves and actually plays better than our skill level is. Yep. And we'll see where that takes us. And um, it worked. And it worked. Wow. Uh, and, and that's just, that's been my philosophy with my family, with my career. And so when I left the golf team, I was like, okay, real estate, how can I do that differently? And yeah. this is the traditional way of doing it. Uh, the traditional way is sales and yep. closing deals and whatever. Um, I want to flip that and be relational. I care more about relationships than I do transactions. And yep. if I focus on the relationships and impacting people's stories and making them the best people they can be, the byproduct of that will be that and I will be successful. Yep. Um, and that's just, I feel like that's a philosophy that now I can, if real estate ever stops working out for some reason, I can pull that out and go do something else with that same philosophy wow. and hopefully see success as well. Um, yeah. One of the things that you shared earlier was, uh, it's not just the successes that have helped develop your faith, your philosophy of leadership, mm -hmm. um, and personal growth development. Uh, but it's, it's some of these low moments in your life. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned at the beginning, uh, in having kids that you had some challenges with your yeah. son. Yep. And, um, part of the reason having you on this podcast is not just because you're a successful golfer, golf coach, yeah. businessman, but you've been able to lead your family uh, through ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing just, yeah, the journey of having your second kid yeah. and how you led your family as well as building business yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So that this would have been 2015. Um, found out my wife was pregnant uh, or like Late 2014, we found out my my wife was pregnant with our son mm -hmm. uh, or our child, second child. Um, found out later as a boy, yep. uh, and totally normal pregnancy and healthy. And uh, he was small all throughout, but yep. you know we have small kids. My daughter's like never been in the double digit percentile, so yeah. that wasn't a shock. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we we're just kind of flowing through life and like, okay, it's our second kid. Like we got this. Like that yeah. first kid is terrifying, but now we kind of kind of yeah. know what we we're doing. Do it. yeah. uh, and it'll be no big deal having a having another child and. Um, so, uh, a couple of days before, um, my wife or before we ended up having our son, my wife kind of just started getting this feeling of like, I, he, he had stopped growing, um, mm -hmm. which they were just watching. They were like, eh, it's not that concerning, but we just want to watch it cause he's small already and mm -hmm. he stopped growing. So it, it may just mean that he's, he needs to come. He's ready to come. Um, yep. and so we may not go the full, we were at like 38 or 39 weeks. So yeah. it's like, we were far enough Close, that yeah. they were like, full you know, term. it's no big deal. Yep. Um, but we may just kick him out early and, yeah. um, and he, he's, he's done, he's done what he needs to do inside and let's get him out. Um, but no concerns. Um, but my wife was just like, I think he needs to come out. 
we need to get him out of there. Uh, so we had our 39 week appointment or whatever. My wife's like, yeah, I want to. And the doctor was like, yep, I'll, induce you. I'll, I'll listen to you. I'm, I'm big believer in listening to mom. So we'll just, we'll induce you and we'll go. And, yeah. um, the huge thing was, uh, and, and huge point where I, there are several points throughout the story where I just can see God's hand where, you know, he didn't orchestrate this thing to happen, but he knew it was coming and was there mm. with us through the journey. And, um, one of those things was that a lot of times uh, we lived close to Abbott Northwestern in Minneapolis, which is yep. connected to the children's hospital. And a lot of times they're so busy, they won't take inductions. Mm. Um, so if you get induced, they'll send you to Southdale or sure. one of the, one of the quieter mm -hmm. hospitals around because they just, they're so busy with trauma or people that are coming in mm -hmm. because they're attached to children's that they have to take the people who need them. Yep. Um, but we had given our birth to our first daughter at Abbott and we lived like a mile down the road. So we we're like, if we can't get into Abbott, that'd be great. And she was like, mm -hmm. well, don't hold your breath, but we're going to call and see if they're, and she said, oh, great. They're slow tonight. So yep. you can, they said, come on down. Yeah. So we get down there and, um, we, we go into the process and my wife is in labor and, uh, it's like one in the morning and we're like, you know what? Let's get some sleep. Uh, she's, she's at like three, uh, three centimeters. Yeah. Um, 30%. Yeah. Uh, and, and our first daughter, she labored for like almost 24 hours. So, and it took her forever to go from like a three to a seven. So I was yeah. like, we were like, okay, we got okay. a long ways to go. Tons of time. Um, let's, let's both try to get some sleep because yeah. uh, we have an infant coming and a second kid. And so I lay down on the couch and she kind of goes to bed and just a little bit later, I mean, half hour, 45 minutes later, I hear the nurse come in and. She's like, yeah, I just, I got to check you. We, we just kind of lost, lost his heartbeat for a second. Um, which, you know, happens that you probably just jostled the monitor or whatever. Like, yeah. this. and so she's looking and she's like, oh, I just, I'm having a hard time finding again. Let me, let me call the doctor. Um, so a doctor comes in and I'm kind of starting to, but at this point they're not showing any signs of anything. So I'm not really stressing. Out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the doctor's like, well, did you check to see if he's, he dropped? He's, he's made ready to come out. She's like, well, we just checked like 40 minutes ago and she was a three. So I don't, I don't think so. The doctor was like, well, let me check. He goes, oh yeah, his head's here. It was like, yeah, whoa, ready, ready all of a sudden it's like, whoa, we're going, I'm yeah. jumping off the couch and wow. you know, um, and the, the doctor says, okay, push and boom, he's out. It no. was, it was like a 37 second, like, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and you're like, wow, I what was like, happened? I was supposed to have another three hour nap before this. this is crazy. <laughs> um, but he comes out and both my wife and I, after the fact, we didn't, obviously we didn't know this in the moment, but I was like, man, he is gray. Like, mm. uh, but you know, I just didn't, you know, he's got fluid over him and yeah, whatever, he just came and, out, you know? Yeah. Um, but my wife and he didn't cry. And so I actually thought I was like, for a split second, I was like, Oh, we, we lost him. Like, I don't think he's alive. Um, and my wife had the same thought. Cause they, cause they said the heartbeat stuff. Yeah. Like, and yep. And, but they didn't seem to be panicking too much or maybe they were hiding it really well like or whatever, well, but, yeah. um, but they were like scratching the bottom of his feet really hard and I'm trying to get him to cry. And, uh, about 45 seconds later, all of a sudden he kind of let out this very weak, like, <gasps> like whatever. Yeah. And, and some color started and it's like, okay, we're it's good. Breathing, yeah. They put him up on my wife and, uh, you know, we just thought we're, we're moving. We're good. Yeah. We're all good. So for like three hours, they had him sleep on my wife, you know, the, yep. the skin to skin thing. And, mm -hmm. um, things seemed to be going okay. They transferred us to another room and, uh, 
a nurse came in, my wife, it was such like an easy process. My wife was like, oh, I'm going to go take a shower. And, um, I was eating some breakfast and the nurse was like, okay, I'm just going to check some things. And so she laid him down and she was checking like his blood sugar levels and things like yeah. that. You know, I didn't know that at the time, but that's what she was doing. And all of a sudden she was like, um, I'm going to take him across the hall. Like his oxygen levels are just a little low, but, uh, this handheld things isn't super accurate. So I'm going to take him across the hall. I'll be right back. And yeah. again, she did a very good job. Which of, is actually crazy that, they, cause I having two kids, they don't separate the mom and the kid if they don't have to. Yep. Which I didn't put two and two together at the time. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, all good. Yeah. His eggs are yeah. delicious. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> just just yeah. those dad fail moments. Yeah. Um, but literally like the door closed with her going out yeah. and it immediately swung back open and like three, you know, a doctor and like three people came in and they're like, all right, dad, you're coming with us. And my wife's in the shower and I'm like, what's going They're like, come across the hall. We got to talk to you. Um, and I walk into the room across the hall and I mean, there's just flurry of activity it's and happening. you know, all yeah. kinds of people swarming in. And, um, again, the crazy, another crazy moment was there was, a, so Abbott and children's are actually two separate entities. Mm -hmm. They're just in the same building uh, yeah. under, under a similar umbrella, but they're actually two separate entities. So somebody had called this oxygen specialist up to check out another kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and the doctor from children's was like, this kid's fine. I don't know why they're fine. Why'd like, I'm, called, yeah, yeah, why'd I get called? And she turned around to walk out. And that was right when they came Boom. with my son. Wow. And she immediately, without even no monitors, no nothing. She goes, but that kid is not, and I'm taking him. Um, wow. And so I get into the room and they're, you know, they've got the mask on him and they're resuscitating him and they're doing all this stuff. And they're like, dad, he might not make it. Uh, we got to get down the hall as fast as we can. And that was the other crazy thing to us being at Abbott. I mean, if, if we had been at another hospital, he probably, he, they would have transferred him to children's, but he probably mm. wouldn't have survived the transfer. Wow. Um, they just didn't have time, uh, much less putting it in, in, in an ambulance and getting him across the town and all that yep. kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm like, so they're, they're getting ready to take him down the hall. And my wife is in the shower, not yeah, even knowing no idea, yeah. any of this stuff is going on. Um, so I'm like, I gotta go tell my wife. So I walk across the hall and knock on the door and I'm like, Hey, uh, I don't even really remember what I said, but something like we're being transferred to children's. Um, but She's not supposed to, because they're two separate entities, they have to like sign out mm. that she can leave Discharge, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, but they're taking my son down the hall already. Yeah. Um, and thankfully some nurse was like, just go. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to lose my job. Go. Yeah. So, uh, or somebody did, I can't remember. Maybe I just did it. I don't know. But, uh, my wife got in a uh, wheelchair and I, we went down the hall and for like three hours we watched him working on him. Mm. Um, and he wasn't named yet. So yeah. they're in there early on. I remember they're in there and they're, uh, they're saying, you know, a baby boy, they're just calling him baby boy. Um, yeah. cause they don't have a name. Yeah. And I leaned down to my wife and I was like, you know, we, we should name him. Um, and stepping back real quick, the, the, the kind of how this is all formative in these dark moments was, um, probably the year leading up to that. I was really learning about how God is an active God mm. and, and relearning where I used to think that God was orchestrating disasters for good or yeah. whatever, you know, relearning how God shows up in the moments of disaster. And, yeah. uh, and then I was learning about like the fact that like the stuff we read in the Bible about healing and words of knowledge and, and getting, getting words for people of encouragement from God through us. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I spent the last year kind of learning about all that. And the week before all this happened, uh, I was in a group at church and went, and we were practicing words of knowledge and the whole group only gave words for me for, you know, that wasn't the intent, but all of a sudden one person gave a word for me and another person gave, and they were like, oh, we just see you as like a bridge and your family's on one side and there's like a really rocky river underneath the bridge, but you're the bridge and your family can walk across you to the other side where it's safe. And it's like, and I'm just thinking like, this is all stuff in the past. Like, yeah, we've been through some tough times. Like, yeah, thanks. That makes, you yeah. know, whatever. And then you're, you're this amazing leader who you can, who your, your family can rely on and, and you're mm. their rock that they can, uh, lean on in, in any circumstance and like all this stuff. And so flash forward when we're watching my son, all these words are flooding back into my mind mm. of like, holy crap, like it's for right. This, now. this is for right now. Um, and I leaned down to my wife and I was just like, we need to name our son. Like we, we need him to know that he's named, mm -hmm. um, that he's loved uh, that he, that he has a God who loves him and mm. no matter how this turns out, he needs to be named. Mm. Um, and we didn't have this name on our list at all. Uh, but she was like, I think we should name him Elliot. And so I was like, sounds good. <laughs> uh, so we walk, I stuck my head in the room and I just said, Hey, you can call him Elliot. Um, and they started calling him Elliot and immediately his numbers started to change. And, no. um, I and I looked it up and the, the, uh, shortly or later I looked it up and the meaning of Elliot is, uh, our God is Jehovah. Um, and, or Jehovah is my God. And, uh, so, so they stabilized him and then a cardiologist came in and they were there for a couple hours and then they sat us down and they said, okay. So the good news is we found the problem. The bad news is you're meeting with me. Yeah. Um, and they said he had a total anomalous pulmonary venous connection. So basically in a nutshell, the good news was all the plumbing was there. It was just all hooked up wrong in his heart. Really? Um, now, any medical person that listens to this is probably going to email or something and say that this is wrong. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. He also had a secondary defect. He had a hole between his right and his left atrium, uh, which mm. is where the oxygenated blood flows from the lungs into the right atrium, flows through the veins to the left atrium, and then flows from the left, left atrium out, out. out to the vitals yep. and then comes back. Um, and for him, his blood was just going from his lungs to his heart and straight back to his lungs again, the way that his wires were, or his tubes were hooked up. Um, but the secondary defect, he had a hole in between his right and left atrium, which is not the normal hole that a lot of kids have. Um, and I believe, again, I don't know that this is scientifically accurate, but the way they laid him on my wife was actually the way where the that left atrium was down. So the blood was flowing through that hole into the left mm. atrium and then getting enough out. Because when he was on my wife, he had color and he was fine. And then mm. it was when the nurse took him off my wife and laid him flat that all of a sudden his color started to drain. And she wow. that's when she saw, when she, as soon as she laid him down, Sometimes, she saw his color yeah. drain and she knew something was wrong. Um, again, I don't know how... 100% medically accurate that is, but, yeah. um, but so that hole, regardless, that hole was the one thing that saved his life. Um, wow. cause there was just enough oxygen getting to his brain and his, you know, kidneys and liver and whatnot wow. to survive. Um, and, uh, so they said we have to do immediate open heart surgery. Um, we are going to have a team that in the children's hospital is just insane. Uh, it's insanity what happens in that 
place day in and day out. You know, it's a place I drove by every day because we lived in South Minneapolis. And you always think like, oh, that's a place where somebody goes sometime yeah. when they need it. Now you're there. Yeah. Um, not like, holy cow, there's people there. There's hundreds of people there every single day. Um, but so they, they had a team in the emergency or in the operating room. Uh, so this was probably at like four o'clock in the afternoon at this point or something like that. And mm. they said, we're, we're going to have a team in the operating room on standby and he's going to be in the room right next door. And we're going to try to get him to survive to 24 hours after birth. Mm. Because if he survives to 24 hours after birth, his odds of surviving surgery exponentially increase. Yep. Um, but if he's crashing and we have to, then we'll do it. We'll just do it. Um, so they, so they had that team there on standby all night. Hmm. And then at 10 AM they brought in a second team yep. to relieve the first team. Yep. And then they started the surgery at 10 30. Um, and he went into surgery and you know, we had to, whew, uh, we had to, you know, watch him go through the doors and not know if that was the last time we'd, see him again. Um, and, uh, so for, you know, six hours we're sitting there and just waiting. Uh, and he came out of surgery and, uh, we were there for four weeks, which in and of itself was a miracle. Um, they prepped us that we could be there for months. Um, yeah. and they said really the, 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 the hardest thing is eating actually. Cause the, the, the cause he never swallowed. Um, mm -hmm. he, cause he had issues right away. They immediately put tubes in to feed him and to keep him alive and all that kind of stuff. So they said that swallowing is such an instinctive thing and he'll, he'll go three or four weeks without swallowing. So to, we can't teach him how to swallow. So once we start feeding him, some kids pick up on it right away and some kid take, there was a girl that was next to us who had been there for 10 months and she was fine. She just couldn't eat. Mm. Um, and, and so they were preparing us that that could be the case. Um, but for two weeks, uh, it was touch and go for a while there. He, he had, he had some moments where they almost went back in for a second surgery and, um, his pick line, which was feeding him medicine to keep his heart regulated, pain medicine, all that kind of stuff clogged at one point. So they lost control of his body mm. and his heart rate was skyrocketing and plummeting. And, um, you could see he was in pain, uh, and they almost had to go into another surgery for that. But we sent a message out to people and we're just like, Hey, we need pray right now. Yeah. Um, and literally a minute later a nurse walked over just to they were about to wheel him out and she was like i'm just going to try and she injected some medicine and it went right through and the pick line which was only supposed to last like seven or eight days ended up lasting like 12 um and he stabilized and came out of it and then the first time they fed him he took down like 15 ounces or something no. like that, which is just insane um, starving. Yeah. yeah and uh Wow. So it was like four weeks we were out and home. Um, and no now he's, way. he's three years old and, uh, we, we healthy. go in, we have super healthy. Um, we go in, uh, we used to go in once a week mm -hmm. and then they'd cut it back to once every other week and then once a month. And, um, for at his two year appointment, they, uh, the doctor was like, honestly, if he didn't have a scar, I'd have no clue anything was wrong with him. Um, really? Is it his echocardiograms look perfect? Uh, I mean, nothing, there's no, so he has no restrictions. He has no, um, they, they told us we can actually wait two years before we come back. No um, way. It's just, it's crazy. He's a boy. He's a boy. He's all boy. Wow. <laughs> Man, and he just awesome. runs around like crazy. And um, yeah, and he, he is just full of life. Uh, so it's, it's fun to watch. But those, yeah, those moments, it, it it was really fun to me looking back. Like one of the things I'm grateful for 
in those dark moments or low moments now in hindsight and looking back, like it was fun to go through a, a, a tough season, mm-hmm. but with a different set of eyes. Yeah. And we, you know, we talked earlier about circumstances throwing us one way or the other and to look at it and go, my circumstances didn't change who I was, yeah. my confidence, my joy, my peace, um, my belief, uh, and again, you, you don't, you don't want to go through those circumstances. You don't wish anybody to go through right. those circumstances, but it's in those moments where you can see how far you've come mm. or, or, or where, where God's showing up. Yeah. Um, and for, for him to be able to look at you and say, you know, you matter to me, your son matters to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I created all of this but I know, I know what you're going through. I see you and you matter. Uh, and I'm here, I'm here for you. Um, I did not, I did not plan for this to happen. This was not my design. Uh, this was, this was not what I created. Uh, but this is, this is the broken world we currently live in. Yeah. And in the midst of it, I'm here. Yeah. And, and, and you, you don't, you need, you can know your true identity as my son and my daughter. And, and your father always shows up and is always here for you. Wow. <laughs> you, yeah, the, your, your whole life and who you are, not just the things that you've done, but who you've become and who you are is incredibly inspiring. And uh, the character that you have, just the, the code of ethics that you live by, uh, philosophy of leadership, uh, but even that story of the birth of your son and leading your family. I love that you brought up uh, you know, word, wor- words of knowledge and that uh, those words came true in the, that moment that Absolutely. you were the bridge for your family and specifically for your son, uh, the bridge to life, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and the moment of naming him uh, is so powerful. And so I just want to say thanks so much for being here Absolutely. today. Um, I feel like it's such a, it's such a, uh, anticlimactic thing to ask you your favorite book or anything <laughs> like that, because it's, that it's just yeah what you've gone through um not only the success in business but the success as a husband as a leader within your family as a father uh man that's the stuff that matters you know that's the legacy uh you know beyond the business stuff i think the nepal and giving people home that is eternal work that is uh that there's reward in heaven for that which is amazing uh, and but the legacy stuff is you being a dad and mm-hmm. you being a husband. Uh, that's the stuff that I love yeah. and gravitate towards. And so thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess we can throw it in there. But uh, do you have a favorite book? Uh, yeah. Well, maybe I have, the Dol- Donald Miller. Yeah, I was going to say I have a lot of favorite books, and uh, this would definitely rank right up there. But actually, one of Donald Miller's other books, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yep. Um, is a book that's driven about story and this mm-hmm. concept of story and how our life is a story yep. and you need to be living a better story. And so yeah. many of us are not living good stories. Um, yeah. And so that, that was just an extremely powerful, formative book for me of that that concept of story. And that's really that idea, which is from God. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not about me. It's not about Donald Miller. It's not about any of these other amazing yep. people that are on this podcast. Yeah. But it's it's what God's designed and put in people that is coming out and manifesting itself. And that idea 
that he's placed us here for a reason and our story mm-hmm. matters and our story affects other people's stories and calls other people to live a better story um, and, you know, calls the gold out of people. Everybody's, yeah. there's gold inside of everybody. Let's just yeah. call the gold out in everybody. Um, yes. So that, that book was hugely formative in that idea of thinking bigger, um, yeah. both for my own life, but all the lives around me and all the stories that are being written. Yeah. Great. And do you have, uh, you can choose what, what aspect to speak to, but, uh, maybe one word of advice for anybody that's following in your footsteps. Um, yeah. Uh, I just say get in the game. Yeah. God, whether, whether it's fatherhood, husband, you know, real estate, career yep. missions, whatever it is, like just get in the game. Yep. We, we need as many people in the game as we can. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's all just get in the game and run. Let's do it. It's amazing. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank Uh, you. Yeah, it's been awesome. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube or anywhere else podcasts are found. To stay connected with what we're doing, you can follow us on Instagram at Exception Podcast and visit our website at ExceptionPodcast.co. New episodes are releasing every Tuesday. If you know someone who's an exception to the rule and want us to share their story, you can let us know on our website. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. Shout out to our producer, Tissel, and my name's Kirk Graham. Until next time, as a rule, be an exception to the rule. Peace. Peace.